part of our passage today from Exodus 33, really one of the magisterial, powerful passages in all the Bible. There are three movements to the passage. I'll read the first movement. Later on, we'll get, come to the other two. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up with you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Clearly, God did not go to the Harvard School of Diplomacy and say nice, sweet things to the people of Israel. But in light of their idolatrous, their infamous idolatrous worship of a golden calf, after all they had seen, after Moses intercedes with God for the people to spare their lives, and after God in grace and mercy Uh, forgives them, he says to them, now you can go to the land, which is an act of grace in itself. You're still going to get the land. And it is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's grace. And moreover, all of these opponents and enemies who would like to destroy you, I'm going to drive them out. That's the second gift. The third gift is um, is I'm going to send an angel, a powerful angel, before you to lead you guide you. Incredible gifts of mercy. But then those sobering, poignant words that would sting so deeply. However, I will not go up among you. I'll send my angel, but I will not go. Now, the the point of this passage is going to be, you're going to see all through it, we're going to see three movements. You're going to see these three incredible requests at the end teaching us how to pray. But, but the, the underlying theme is, is this closeness with God, God's presence with us, our friendship with God, this intimacy with God. But because of their rebellion, their idolatrous rebellion, God says, I am not going to go up with you. I will know you from a distance. Now, Augustine, who was the fourth century church leader, many say greatest theologian for a thousand years. He became a bishop in North Africa. I think it's Libya today, hippo. And uh, he had so many good things to say. Once he posed this question, he said, what if God came to you and said to you, I will meet your every need, but you will never see my face. Now, do those last words, never see my face, do do those words chill you? I hope so. They did Moses. It was not Okay for Moses 
for God to give them this incredible gift of you're still going to get the land. It's going to be a land of milk and honey. I'm going to drive out your enemies. I'm going to send an angel with you, but I won't go with you. For Moses, that wasn't good. I don't know what it would be like for you if God said to you, I'll meet your every day. There'll be bounty. There'll be all the material stuff you want, but, but you won't be close to me. I hope that chills your soul to have that idea. Okay, that's the first movement, the closeness, the presence of God. It continues in the second movement in verse 7, where we read, almost an interlude, then Moses, or now Moses, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, this is not yet the tabernacle. It's not constructed yet. So this is the precursor to the tabernacle, this temporary tent of meeting, a special place to meet with the Lord, a place to draw close. Verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. You can imagine, you know, the word spreads through the camp. Moses is heading out to the tent. They all kind of pop out. And they watch him until he gets out there to the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Wouldn't that have been amazing? You're watching Moses walk out there, this now um, uh, almost 120 years old, and, and he, he gets out to the tent, and then the, the cloud of glory, the pillar of cloud representing the presence of God on the planet descends on the tent, and you know God is there. And you say, whoa, you know, that amazing. And then, verse 10, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Is there a more tender, intimate expression of relationship with God in all the Bible than those words right there? Can I read them again? Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Church, when you think about the God who created 400 billion galaxies. With his mere breath, he is so much vaster than we could ever imagine. He is the sovereign, infinite, limitless, holy God. And that God is so deeply personal that with you, he wants this kind of a love relationship where he would know you by name, and speak to you face to face like a man speaks with a friend. This is in the Old Testament, and it is just amplified and elaborated in the New Testament in the face of Jesus. The God who made everything is not only infinite, He is personal, personal. He is not Less personal than you and I, uh, he is more personal than you and I. That is why the common imagery of the Bible is personal imagery. 
He is our Father. In fact, I think we could deduce from the New Testament that the Christian name for God is Father. And Jesus taught us, when he taught us to pray, call him Father, the perfect Father. Or as some of us often say, Papa. He's Father. He's personal. He's friend. He is bridegroom, husband, love relationship. Again, going back to Augustine, Augustine said, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek Him, the greatest adventure. To find Him, the greatest human achievement. Now, now just sort of process that. Put, put back the first part if you don't mind. To fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. Some of you have never been married or you've had your heart broken in marriage, but you have had the opportunity for the greatest romance of all, the romance of God's perfect love for you. And it will be so good in eternity, we can't hardly even contain ourselves. Uh, the, the greatest adventure on the planet is knowing God. Now, now, friends, we get bombarded with a thousand messages a day saying other things. You know, if you're watching the Olympics the last couple of weeks or last week, which, you know, I love to watch the Olympics. I even watch gymnastics and swimming and sports I don't know anything about, but I love them. But if we watched those very much, we would think that the apex of human life is to win a gold medal at Rio. Or even to have your uh, selfie taken with Michael Phelps. You know, that, that's, the, you know, that's the, the most special thing. Friends, that's nothing. Winning a gold medal at the Rio Olympics, listen, that's the toy department of life. That, that, that is your two-year-old grandchild making mud pies while there's got a lavish dinner over here at Taste of Texas. That's nothing. But the privilege of life is to know and love and be loved and know and be known by the God of the universe who loves you. That is the greatest of all romances. And here we see the heart of God in this passage, the presence, the closeness, the friendship, and particularly in this verse, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. You know, A.W. Tozier, I often say, uh, quote him to say that God does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. Are you an intimate? Do you want to be an intimate of God? Do you want to be close to God? How much do you want to be an intimate of God? If you want to be an intimate of God, you will become one. You will. How bad do you want it? Do you want a teaspoonful of God? Is that enough? Tablespoon? Or do you want Niagara Falls full of God? The full richness of the love relationship with God. We've seen two movements all about closeness with God, presence of God, friendship with God, intimacy with God. The third one takes us even deeper. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, now he's going to have three requests. Try to uh, look for these three requests. One is oblique. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, 
Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, two of the requests were there, one explicit, one implicit. The one that's explicit and clear, now, please show me your ways. What's Moses asking? Moses is saying to God, God, I want more of you. I want to know you better. I want, to, I want to know how you think, how your ways are. You remember Isaiah 55, God says to us, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Well, Moses knows after 40 years of herding sheep, he knows the ways of herding sheep in the backside of nowhere. But he says, God, if I'm going to lead these people, I need to know your ways, your ways. Recently, I got back from a brief trip to Kyrgyzstan, which is high in Central Asia, bordered by countries like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, uh, China, Kazakhstan, and Russia. And, and, and they got different ways there. And if I was to move there to live, I would need to learn their ways. Friends, for all of your life, you have been immersed in the ways of this world that forget God and leave God out. You've been immersed in those ways. We need, if we're going to be the people of God, we need to learn God's ways. God, show me your ways. And this is the primary place where the Spirit of God takes the words of God and shows us the ways of God. This is how we do it. He shows us His ways. Lord, show me your ways. He wants to know God. Now, the second request is uh, a little bit harder, but it becomes clear. You know, he starts off by saying, Lord, you said bring these people up, but you've not let me know who is going to send, send uh, who's going to go with us. And, and then he goes on, Lord, you, you said, I know you. You said, I found favor in your sight. But, but then at the end, he says, uh, uh, but Lord, these are your people. What's he asking? What do you think he's asking? He wants God, who just told the people, I'm not going with you. He wants God to go with them. Doesn't want the angel. Because for Moses, it's not enough to have the gifts of God. I want God. I want God himself. And what do you think God responds? Verse 14. And he, God, said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Moses, you want me? You got me. The power of intercession. The power of prayer. God is a prayer-hearing God. We don't want to get to heaven one day and, and find out all of the things that we should have been asking for that we never asked because God loves these kind of prayers. Lord, I want your presence. Okay, the second request. First request, Lord, show me your ways. You know, really want to know his heart. Second request, Lord, show me your presence. Go, go with us, Lord. We need you. Now, that's a little different request than you and I would pray because we live this side of the cross where Jesus has said things to us like this, I am with you always. All right, you know me. You've trusted me as your Savior. I will never, ever leave you. I'm right there with you no matter what. I am with you always. So where our prayer is not so much, Lord, uh, go with us. Lord, show me your presence. It is, Lord, help me to know your presence. That you're right here with me. Lord, it's not for your presence I'm asking, but for the awareness of your presence. Now think with me, church. Moses desperately wanted God's 
presence. And you and I, as we go through some of the, the, the toughest things of life that we barely, you know, barely survive, if you and I know that Jesus Christ is right here with us, we can survive. We can survive. Some of us have lived long enough and been through enough pain and hurt. Uh, we've experienced this. Uh, no matter what we go through, if we remember the presence of God with us, we can make it. You know, I, I, uh, we've got a few little grandkids, and, and our second story of our, of our house is not a second story. It's not a full story, but it's basically a big playroom for our grandkids. And when they're younger, and we're all down on the first floor, and one of them wants to go up to the, 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 the top floor to their toy place, uh, they might be a little afraid if it's night. But uh, if they ask, you know, Papa, will you go with me? That's I'm Papa to them. Will you go with me upstairs? If I'm around, then they're fine. No fear at all. Look, your Papa is with you every single day, no matter what. Now, think about the crying problems that you and I are facing right now. We've all got them. He's right here with us, the presence of God. So the first request, Lord, show me your ways. Second request, Lord, may I know your presence. Lord, may I be aware of your presence. It's like David in Psalm 23, Lord God, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're right here with me. Okay, those are two of the requests. The third request, you know, is the greatest of all. Uh, Moses responds to God. God basically says, I'm going to go with you, Moses. All right, you got it. I'm changing my mind. And verse 15, and Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. You know, Moses, he just told you he's going. But, but Moses just, you know, he's just so into this that, you know, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. Because, Lord, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. You know, some of us who um, are deeply in love with our spouses, that's the way we feel. You know, in a human way. Gail, wherever Gail is, that's where I want to be. And, and that's Moses in the greatest romance of all. Lord, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. And then he says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Isn't this what marks the people of God, the presence of God? That God, the infinite, is right inside us, with us, in us? All righty. Moses is probably just taking all of this in. It's just so much. And then, verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Do you hear the heart of God, how much he wants to be close with his people that he has made, including you? Do you hear the heart of God? Yes, Moses, yes. You want my presence? Yes. And then Moses says in verse 18, this staggering request, Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. It's almost so much more that, that he has taken in, and it's like he just can't contain himself. Well, Lord, just show me your glory. What's he asking for? Well, glory is a little bit hard to, to get our hands around, but we just know it stands for the, for the beauty and the splendor and the holiness and the brilliance of God. It's a Hebrew word that means heavy. It's the word kabod, and it means heavy. And it's kind of the, you know, that, that's not so clear, but 
But when you think of the opposite, of something that matters, that's heavy, you know, something that's just kind of a lightweight throwaway, it's the opposite. It's glory. Lord, show me your full glory and beauty, who you really are. Let me take it in. Show me your glory. Church, do you pray that prayer? I hope so. I hope so. Most days I am praying that prayer for you or something similar and praying it for me. Lord, would you please show us your glory? Because if we see the glory of God, then everything else is going to fall in place. We will love him. We will trust him. We will obey him. Everything else is going to fall in place if we see the glory of God. I was talking with a, a, a leader, Christian leader in Dallas, or he was actually speaking to a group of us, and he was describing an older, prominent businessman in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who decades ago had helped Billy Graham in a local ministry. And after the ministry, they all got on a private plane to fly to Austin. And he said when they got on the plane, uh, Billy Graham said, you know, let's pray. And they hit their knees. They're on the plane. And he said, I'll never forget what Billy Graham prayed. He said, Lord, show me your glory. That is a prayer to pray. Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see your wonder. I want to to be like Augustine who said, in my wounded heart, I saw your splendor and it dazzled me. Church, are you still dazzled by the glory of God? Do you still have wonder in your eyes when you think that the God of heaven came down to this planet, died on a bloody cross because he's in love with you? to pay for your sin. I saw his splendor, his glory, and it dazzled me. Lord, show me your glory. You know, when you think about Moses, you would think if anybody has ever seen the glory of God, Moses had already seen it. I mean, wasn't he out in the middle of the desert when God appears to him and speaks to him in a fire that is burning but not burned up? And he calls him back to Egypt, and he does a miracle after a miracle and gets the attention of Pharaoh and, and, and does his incredible wonders. And then he delivers the people out of Israel, and, he, and they go to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is coming, and he splits the Red Sea wide open. And, and he's, he follows them. He, he leads them as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And water out in the desert gushes out of a rock. I mean, if anybody has ever seen the glory of God, wouldn't it be Moses? But Moses says, I want more. Lord, show me your glory. And God responds. God loves that prayer because it's a prayer of intimacy and knowing him and intimacy with him. And he says to him in 19, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses, (coughs) Moses, you want to see my glory? I will show you all my goodness. So, the real glory of God is not primarily seen in the spectacular and the miraculous, and the powerful, but it is seen in the goodness, and the tenderness, and the forgiveness, and the grace of our God. Now, both are absolutely vital. 
the greatness of God and the goodness of God, but the real glory of God is seen in his tender affection for you and me. Best seen on a cross. That's his goodness and that's his glory. We will see more of that next week. John Ardberg commented on that passage so well when he said, what is most glorious about God is how surely good he is. Yet for the fullest look at this, the human race would have to wait for a carpenter from Galilee. There we will see in the face of Jesus the goodness of God, won't we? And we will see glory. And so John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's our God. Glory. Glory. I saw his splendor, and it dazzled me. Passage ends quickly in verse 20 and following. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Four verses later, John 1, 14, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten, God, the only begotten, that is Jesus, He has revealed Him. Do not see the essence of God but see the glimpse of God. Now, this is kind of an odd language here about the back, the face, the, the hand of God. Uh, God, before the incarnation, is spirit, just like the Father and the Spirit today are spirit. They don't have a body. And this is what's called anthropomorphic language, kind of human-centered language, so we'll get some idea. But this is basically what's happening. Moses, you want to see glory? You'll see glory. But you won't see the essence of my glory. That's like looking at the sun on a bright day. You know, it's, it's just too bright. But if you get in this cleft in the rock, I will cover you and you'll see a glimpse of the glory of God. Not the full essence of God's glory. He veiled his glory when he came to earth. Church, what do we see here this morning? We see three requests. Lord, I want to know your ways. That is, I want to know your heart. God, I, I want to I know your presence. I, I want to I, I show me your presence. And then, Lord, show me your glory. Show me the full wonder and beauty of who you are. Now, behind all of that, <clears throat> running through this whole passage, this is one of the great passages in all the Bible, about a thirst to know God. Not just what God can do for us, but know God himself. I ask you again, do you have a desire to be an instrument of God's. How badly do you have that desire? Because if you want bad enough to know God, you will know Him, and you will be close to Him. Now, let me just say a couple of things that do not go with knowing God. One, uh, if there is any open sin in your life, if you are a stiff-necked person, God would not allow you to be close. Now, we all have sin, but I'm talking about some open, overt area of rebellion that you're saying mine, God will not allow you to be close. So repent and give that to God. The second absolutely vital thing besides obedience is taking time to be with your God. We call this unhurried time with God. We talk about the priority of taking time alone with God. 
There are folks all over the planet that would love to spend time with, you know, some of these famous athletes that we're watching on TV. That's nothing. Less than nothing. We get time with the Lord anytime. And we draw close. Church, what? How much of God do you want? A teaspoon? A tablespoon? Or do you want Niagara Falls of God? Please stand with me. If you're here this morning, you're not sure what this is about, knowing God. You're not sure if you even have a relationship with God. This is what the Bible says. This is the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sins. You could never earn your salvation, but Jesus did it for you. And what God asks is that you simply open your heart to him. Trust him as your Savior. You can do that right now. You don't have to jump through any hoops, uh, earn your way, but you can simply breathe a prayer like a beggar extending a hand. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he will save you. Let me pray. If that's your heart this morning, just right now, Breathe a prayer. Oh, God, save me. Have mercy on me. And he'll do it. Lord God, most of us have done that. But, Lord, we don't want to know a little bit about you. We want to know you with all our hearts and draw close. Lord, thank you that you long to draw close to us. Help us to love you back. Help us. This is our prayer. Amen.